good morning. We want to welcome the folk over in Stevens Point and Appleton and those that are joining us online as well this morning. Good to have you participate and be a part of our service this morning here at Celebration Church. I want to invite all of us to stand as we together recite the Apostles' Creed, our statement of faith here at Celebration Church, the one thing that we believe in here at Celebration Church. So would you join with me as we declare it together? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning, Pastor Mark is in prison. Have a look at the video. Good morning, Celebration Church. Mark Unger here along with the incomparable Reverend Jimmy Bratcher. Good morning, Celebration. Here we are in Kansas City down here doing this uh, outreach to uh, prisons. Uh, we got here uh, a Thursday and we did a gig Thursday night at this bar thing. Knucklehead <laughs> Saloon, you fit right in there. <laughs> <laughs> Knucklehead Saloon. I mean, this is like down in the barrio. What, what do you call the place? The East Bottoms. The East Bottoms. Yeah. There are a lot of bottoms there, man, because I'm telling you, it's like the bottom of everything. There's, you know, this bars in the middle of nowhere and you know, it's right next to the train tracks. Yeah. Every so many minutes, a big train goes. <laughs> it comes tearing through there. And people all come out to this place. And, uh, Jimmy was there and uh, just ministering to people and playing in this place. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And then uh, uh, Saturday, we went to where'd we go? We're to Ellsworth, Kansas, the Ellsworth Correctional Center. There's 850 men there. We set up on the yard and they let all 850 men come out and listen to us play and share the gospel. It's a fabulous event. Yeah, now what you don't know is El El Ellsworth? Ellsworth. Ellsworth is like a mile and a half from hail. Hot! <laughs> Hot! So they put us out in the sun in the middle of this place just frying. Like 95 degrees outside. <laughs> it's just wrong. It's just hair, wrong. You had hair to be cool. Uh, yeah, I know, man. That was, that was just nasty. All right. And uh, so anyway, today, where are we going today, Sunday morning? Sunday morning, we're going to Oswego, Kansas, and we're going to a prison that is just elderly men. And most of them will not, yeah, that's almost that most of them will not uh, be released before they die and so it's so uh, kind of plays a hopelessness and then we, we want to bring them home by the way elderly man the next time we do this gig we need some of y'all we need a couple y'all men young guys young guys with the muscles to come with these gigs and help roadie because it's a sad thing when you got a couple old geezers loading up that equipment i don't know how you keep from hurting yourself man that's just wrong so a couple of young guys, I'm grabbing y'all. You're coming with us next time so you can carry all this stuff. Good Lord, it's heavy. Anyway. Sunday night, we're at El Dorado, Kansas, which is the supermax for Kansas. And we'll be doing a concert inside in the Spiritual Life Center at, uh, at El Dorado. All right, so that's tonight. Anyway, uh, pray for us that God really bless us and use us today as we minister hope to people who might at times feel totally hopeless. 
you know, Jesus encouraged us to go visit those who are in prison. That's right. On Judgment Day, he said, someday I'm going to look at y'all and say, hey, you visited me uh, when I was in prison. And he said, you're going to say, when did you do this? He said, whenever you did it to these, it's like you're doing it to me. So that's what we're doing. Thank you, Celebration Church, for being a part of this. Yes. And can you support uh, what Brother Bratcher here is doing? I just feel thrilled to be able to get away and, uh, and be a part of this. So pray for us. Have a great day. Now, this morning, uh, we have a special speaker, Pastor Kurt, from our Stevens Point campus. Most of you don't know him. Uh, is going to be preaching for the first time to the whole campus this morning. Uh, and, uh, and he's got uh, some great words he's going to encourage you with. So open your heart. Listen to Brother Kurt as he preaches this morning, and we'll see y'all soon. Bye-bye. Amen. I want to quick, give a quick shout-out to Cody and Marsha Minster from our Appleton campus. They had a baby boy this past week, Caden. Congratulations. We celebrate that with you. And let's give it up to Pastor Kurt from Stevens Point. God bless you. Thank you. Well, good morning. I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning. I do greet those of you who are over in Stevens Point. Uh, Jason and I miss you this morning. I guess we can say that. And uh, we'll be back this afternoon. So looking forward to that. We usually hear the Apostles' Creed read there, you know, so it was great to hear it this morning in this room, which sounds a little bit different than Stevens Point. And those of you in Appleton, we greet you also. And those of you watching online. This morning, I'm going to be talking to you out of Psalm 130. If you have your Bible, then you might want to turn there. It'll be a little while before we get there. But uh, Pastor Mark and Jimmy gave an amazing setup for where I'm going to go this morning. It's so apropos that they were at a prison this weekend. The things that they were doing really just totally uh, comes right in line with what I want to share with you this morning. Now, have you ever gone to a movie and been very puzzled at the title of the movie? In fact, you watch the movie and you're wondering, okay, I can't wait to figure out where is, where did they get the title for this? And you watch and maybe two-thirds through or ways through, you go, oh, that's, that's where the title came from. This morning, I'm going to give you a title for what I'm going to talk about. It's going to be a total mystery. It will make no sense to you. But my hope is that 30 minutes from now when I'm done, that it will make great sense to you and that you'll carry this phrase, this title out of here and that it will inspire you and challenge you in your pursuit of Jesus and in your commitment to follow his calling and mission over your life. I want to talk to you this morning about what I'm going to call the De Profundis Commission. The De Profundis Commission. It makes no sense, but it will. Let me pray for us. Father, in this next bit of time, in these moments to come, I pray that Holy Spirit that you would anoint the words and that you would anoint the ears and the hearts to receive your commissioning to us in a fresh and new way. Inspire us, God. Expand our thinking, our understanding, our compassion, our willingness to be obedient to your ways and your callings and purposes. In Jesus' name, and everyone together said, amen. Amen. The De Profundis Commission. The word de profundis is probably new, I would imagine, to almost all of you. It was new to me until recently. It's a Latin phrase. You're familiar with more Latin than you know. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. In fact, I'd be curious, how many of you speak more than, than, than one language? How many of you speak two languages in this room or some of the other rooms? Okay, yeah, Lathan and Lynn. My wife speaks three languages. You saw her singing just a little while ago. She grew up in Germany, and in her home when she was growing up, they spoke, uh, spoke Croatian. Spake, stupid English. They, um, they spoke... We say that a lot in our house, stupid English. Uh, so they spoke Croatian and German, and then she learned around 19, 
Anan, she learned her English. So she speaks three languages. What do you call someone who speaks two languages, by the way? You call them bilingual, right? What do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual, right? What do you call someone who speaks one language? An American. You see, it's true. We're the worst, man. I've been trying to learn Croatian. It's just not good. I spoke, tar- or I spoke Spanish for a while, but my friends who spoke Spanish used to tell me I spoke Tarzan Spanish, I was told. It was like all in commands or something. So, but you might be surprised that you know more Latin than you might think. Latin is a dead language, but there are a lot of Latin words that have worked their way into our language that we talk today. Words like circa, it means around. So if you see a photo and it says 1950, circa 1950, it means it's approximately 1950. We use that word all the time, circa, it's Latin. Or post, postmortem, postmortem, I'm sorry, postmortem means postmortem. Postmortem means after death, right? It's Latin. It's a phrase that you're probably familiar with. Maybe you know uh, carpe diem. Remember that in Dead Poets Society? What does that mean? Seize the day, right? We know that. Or those of you who are in the military, you might remember semper fidelis, right? What does that mean? Always faithful. The Marines, I believe, use that phrase. It's a Latin phrase. that So a lot of Latin words we're familiar with. Audio, even the word audio, it's a Latin word. It means I hear. We use a lot of these words. I just learned one recently. It's sit vis nobiscum. This is a really great Latin phrase. Sit vis nobiscum. It means may the force be with you. (laughs) It's not really an ancient phrase. It's maybe a little newer, but but it has a lot of, you know, rolls off the tongue really nice. Well, I want to teach you a new Latin phrase, this de profundis. De profundis comes from Psalm 130. And if you're like me, by the way, uh, I'm guilty of this. I think part of it's my ADD. Uh, I like to, even when I'm watching a movie, I research the movie. I look up stats on the movie. When A lot of times when I'm listening to someone teaching, it actually helps me to focus to kind of look at other things, look at the Bible, look at commentaries, even look at Google things. If you Google De Profundis, Oscar Wilde, by the way, wins the search for De Profundis. But he got his book. Maybe I'll have some time. If we have time at the end, I'll get to that. De Profundis was Oscar Wilde's second to last book. Those of you who know who he was, he wrote it from prison in a very dark place. But he got his idea from this psalm, Psalm 130, which has become known, this psalm, 130, is actually called the De Profundis. Uh, we, earlier in our service, we said the Lord's Prayer, right? And in Christianity, we know that passage where Jesus encouraged us to pray. This, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Remember in Luke chapter 1, Mary sings a song, and we now traditionally call it the Magnificat, right? Did you know that? And there are many other passages, the Ten Commandments. We have names for these passages in Scripture. So this passage, Psalm 130, is called De Profundis, and it gets its name from the first phrase that for around 1,200 or so many years of Christianity, this phrase when read by Christians, was predominantly read in Latin. Because for around 1,200 years, that was the predominant Bible. The Latin translation was the Bible that was most often used within Christianity. The Bible, by the way, was called the Latin Vulgate. And those of you who come from a Catholic tradition, especially if you went to church in the Catholic tradition before 1962, do you remember most of the services or most parts of the service were in Latin? How many of you remember that, by the way? Any of you remember going to church when it was in Latin? Okay, some of you, yeah. So when you would have gone to church in that tradition, you would have heard this Psalm 130, and it would have been started, it would have started with this phrase, De 
profundis, which means from the depths, out of the depths. The psalmist starts his psalm that way. It is a song of ascension. He lets you know that with his heading. It's not even a verse, but if you look in your your Bible, it's the heading for the psalm. It's a song of ascension. He's not going to stay in a sad place, in a, a deep place, a place of the depths. He's going to ascend out of it. And this ascension is really key in our theology, in our, in our understanding of Scripture and what Jesus came to do for us. So he starts, Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The writer of this psalm is coming out of the depths. And in Hebrew, the word depths was traditionally, it had connotation with the place where the dead dwell. It was as if he was saying, from hell itself, I am crying out to you, God. Hear my cry for mercy. God, give me mercy. Have you ever been in a place where you were so full of grief or sorrow or regret or shame, where you felt like you were in the place where the dead dwell? Maybe it was disappointment. And you found yourself there and you're crying out, De profundis. This De Profundis, by the way, you can find it. There are many classical music pieces called De Profundis. There are books named after. There's even this like metal band that I found that is named after De Profundis. Because all of us at certain times in our lives come to a place where we find ourselves in the depths of despair. Now, why is the writer in this place where the dead dwell coming out of the depths, coming De Profundis? Is it because of the loss of a loved one? Is it because of a, uh, a dream that was not realized? Is it because of sickness or, or a, a ruin, financial ruin? Why is the writer in this place of despair? Because all of those disappointments and the things that life brings can often put us in that de profundis place. Disappointment. The death of a loved one. But he's not crying de profundis because of that type of disappointment. We see in verse 3 he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, in other words, our sin, our failures, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The reason the writer of this song is in the depths, de profundis, is because of his own sin and because of his own failure. There is grief and sorrow and conviction that is appropriate when it comes to failing and sinning and falling short of God's best. The Holy Spirit often convicts us. Our consequences can convict us. You see, our failures, our sins come with consequences. It is just so. So this writer is crying out. Now, this is one of six penitential psalms that we refer to. In other words, there are seven really renowned psalms where the writer of the song is crying in penitence, penitence of sorrow for wrong done. It is the point of a penitentiary where you go to jail, but if you saw Shawshank Redemption, remember in the movie Shawshank Redemption, everybody in that jail said they were not guilty. Remember? They're all innocent. But we should go to a place where we're willing to say, God, I am guilty. I've done, I failed in this way, God. This is my sin and it has brought me to despair, de profundis. But with you, God, there is forgiveness. He's experiencing this 
because of his failure. Now, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 tells us this. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regrets, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is such a thing, an appropriate thing, as godly sorrow and grief over our sins. But what does that sorrow do? It produces repentance and salvation. And with that, there is no regret. Now, this could be a bit confusing because some might read it and think, oh, I'm not going to regret my failure anymore. No, I can tell you. There are things in my life that I failed at. There were sins in my life that I succumbed to, and I will regret those things the rest of my life. But the sorrow that they brought brought me to a place of repentance, and that repentance brought me to a place of salvation, and with that salvation, there are no regrets. I do not regret turning towards the ways of God and away from my own nature, my own sinly nature. There's no regret. Now, sometimes you'll hear people talk about their old life, their, if you will, old sinful life, and they'll talk about it with almost euphoric recall about how great it was, how wonderful it was all back in the day when we were going here and doing this and doing that. And you hear them talk about it in a way where you go, I don't sense regret. And you wonder what repentance really looks like in that situation. I will tell you in my life what it looked like, a lot of sorrow, a lot of grief. It produced repentance that led to salvation that I do not regret. So, the psalmist, he's in this place because of his failures and his sin. He's ascending, though. He's not going to stay in this place of sorrow and in this place of grief. He's going to be lifted up. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. At Stephen's point, I have a friend, Jeff, and Jeff worked, uh, was in the military for many years, and he was a military policeman, an MP, and he spent years doing night watch duty. And we were in a Bible study recently when I was referring to this passage, and he had wonderful insight on what it was like to be up all night guarding and watching for the sun to come up in the morning. It always came up, always faithful. The one who's crying out de profundis is lifting himself by saying, I know that the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God is like the sun that comes up in the morning. It will show up. It might be very dark. I may be very discouraged. I may be very broken. But I am confident that the sun will come up. And I'm looking for it like the watchman for the morning. And then, watch this, he has such a change of heart in the psalm, such a change that now he's stirring himself, he's talking to himself about God's forgiveness, God's mercy. He's saying it's like the sun that comes up in the morning, and he's stirring himself so much that, watch, he starts talking to others. And he says in verse 7, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Does it sound like he's still in the depths of despair? No, he's lifted himself with the truth of God's mercy and God's forgiveness. 
Now, why is this De Profundis Psalm so important? Why is it necessary and valuable in the life of a believer and a follower of Jesus? It's valuable because there are probably going to be times in your life to come where you're going to experience grief and sorrow over your own sin, your own failures. It's just part of the Christian journey. And when you get to those places, this is a wonderful psalm to turn to. And just read it and say, God, in my grief and in my sorrow, I'm sorry, God. And there is appropriate sorrow that comes with failing you and failing those that I love, God. But I trust in your mercy and I trust in your forgiveness that is plentiful and I want others to experience it. I'm going to go out and proclaim it. God's redemption is plentiful. It's a great psalm, this De Profundis psalm to maybe even memorize. Martin Luther said this. He said of the psalm in the 16th century, he said that it contains the gist of the gospel. The gospel is contained in this story. It's valuable in our lives. Now, I also believe that it's valuable when it comes to you and I and we as a church fulfilling God's mission for us. Jesus gives what we call his commissions in the New Testament at the end of the Gospels. One is at the end of Matthew. He says, go ye therefore into all the nations, preaching the gospel to every tongue and tribe. Go everywhere, right? Make disciples. He gives another commission that's very similar at the end of, Ma- at the end of Mark. But in John, he gives his commission, and it, it, it's, it's a bit confusing. And the church the historical church has really sadly missed his commission on numerous occasions through the centuries. They've had a horrible understanding and a lot of abuse from the church has come through a misunderstanding of this passage. It's in John chapter 20. John 20, starting in verse 21 Jesus goes to the disciples. They're in a room, they're kind of hiding out. In fact, they're in a de profundis type of place. They're afraid for their lives. They're de profundis. Out of the depths, they're crying, right? They're in despair. And Jesus shows up. He walks to the wall, and the first thing he says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in verse 17, it says, God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Now, he did come to warn that his forgiveness would be withheld if we don't cry out for his mercy. His forgiveness will be unavailable to us if we say no to it, but it's there. All we have to do is say yes. Jesus did not come to condemn, but see, sometimes the church at large has come across more condemning than merciful. And what should we be known for? Condemnation or mercy? Jesus was known more for his mercy The people Jesus had little patience for were were those who were non-merciful. But to those who would simply cry out from their de profundis place, Jesus was incredibly gracious. Now, it's important, I think, before I go on with this commission, to understand it's valuable to hear the words of Jesus in the right way. 
I mean, I, when I, I like to read scripture even out loud sometimes and try to imagine how would Jesus have said this? Knowing that, you know, I have friends who are singers who are amazing singers. And, uh, you know, there's a saying amongst singers, we say, boy, so-and-so, they could sing the phone book and it would sound amazing, right? They could sing anything and it would sound amazing. Well, I think of Jesus, he could have said anything and it would have sounded amazing. Why? Because his mission permeated everything he said. When I think about the tone of what Jesus would have said and how it would have sounded, I'm reminded of this story that I have, my, I call it my Clint Eastwood story. Years ago, I lived in California about 10 years ago, and I was playing golf at this, uh, this golf resort called Tehama. And when I was there, I was about here from Pastor Joe to Clint Eastwood in this clubhouse after I played golf. He was just sitting there with his friends, and I'm trying not to pay too much attention, you know. He was seen around town frequently there in the Monterey area. And so, but after my lunch, I got up and I went to a table that they had where I could get a cookie. They had cookies on these tables and they were really amazing cookies. So I'm standing there and I'm obsessing which cookie I want, just staring out. And all of a sudden, this hand reaches in and grabs a cookie. He's holding it like this. And I, and I mean, just right next to me stands Clint Eastwood with his cookie. And he looks at me and he says, good cookies, huh? <laughs> it was literally like, go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> See, I think Clint Eastwood could say anything and it would sound like make my day, even good cookies, you know? <laughs> and whatever he said, it's going to sound like that. That's how it would have been with Jesus. Doesn't matter what he says, it's going to sound amazing. And it's going to overflow with grace and forgiveness and mercy. But some in the history of the church have missed that. And these next words I'm going to read to you, watch this. They miss it. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. They're going to need the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill this mission he's going to give them. But watch, this is a part that gets so misrepresented. This is his commission. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Some have read this commission to think that they themselves have been given the authority by God to decide who gets forgiven and who doesn't get forgiven. And maybe you came from a tradition within Christianity where you felt like there was no, if you will, absolution because of what you did, what you decided, where you failed. Your failure was worse than the failures of others. And for you, there was no forgiveness. No, we forgive this, but we can't forgive that. They forgot the part in Psalm 130 where it says his redemption is plentiful. Jesus wasn't giving them authority to decide who gets in and who gets out. He's giving them the responsibility to proclaim what is happening in the heavenlies. And in the heavenlies, in God's system, in God's kingdom, redemption is plentiful, forgiveness is grand for those who are willing to cry out in their de profundis place, God, hear my cry for mercy. God grants it over and over and over and over again. But in the history of the church, even in the 16th century, during the Reformation, why did the Reformation take place? Because Martin Luther was protesting the church, 
not graciously and generously granting forgiveness or absolution as it was called. So they called it indulgences. You were to indulge the priests or the leaders of the church who were asking you for money so they could build their cathedrals and, and, and live these lavish lifestyles. So they weren't giving f- forgiveness and grace away. They were withholding it because they misrepresented this passage where Jesus said, if you don't forgive them, they won't be forgiven. They thought they had the authority to not forgive. And it's a tragedy in the history of the church. But in some ways, it's still happening today. You see, there are traditions within Christianity and there are followers of Jesus who've not understood that redemption is plentiful and God's grace is amazing. And we can call out for it and it's always there when we are willing to repent. But maybe you went through a divorce or a struggle with an addiction or you went through a bad business deal and you started and you didn't realize until it was too late that you were getting swept into something illegal or something immoral. And before you know it, you found yourself in the de profundis place and a sad reality is that many of you who found yourself in that place, the last place to grant you mercy was the church. Not this church, but the church at large. And this morning, what I want to say to you is, I'm sorry. And I want to say over you, you are forgiven. And you are accepted when you have been willing to cry out to God in your day profundest place. Now, there are two types of people who need this type of forgiveness, this de profundis type of from the depths crying out. It's those who've never cried out to God for mercy and they've made a wreck of their lives, or maybe they haven't. Maybe, they're, maybe they have lived a pristine, clean life and they finally come to the revelation after many years that they too need God's mercy and they cry out for it and it is there. The church is seemingly better at giving grace and giving mercy to those types. But I want to tell you, there's another group of people who need this de profundis type of forgiveness when they cry out from the depths, it's generous, God's redemption is plentiful, and it is followers of Jesus. This is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes in his book, Life Together. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a martyr for the faith. He stood up to Nazi Germany and went to jail for it, spoke up against Hitler and, and died just weeks before the war was over, was put to death for his standing out against what Hitler said. And this is what he writes in life together. He says, many Christians, or no, I'm sorry, he says this, the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners, he says. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous, so we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are all sinners. And what Diedrich Bonhoeffer was encouraging is a community of believers who got together and said, okay, listen, though we've been following Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, there's still seasons in our life where we fail miserably. And when we do, will the church and your fellow believers, will they be there to say, hey, listen, I hear your cry, de profundis, from the depths, I hear it, and I want you to know God's mercy is there for you. And I want to do what Jesus says. I want to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. 
I want to proclaim it to those who are coming to Jesus for the very first time and to those who have been following him for many years and find themselves failing miserably. I want to hear their cry, de profundis, and I want to be an extension of the mission that Jesus himself had, not to come to condemn, but to come to save. I want to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave me, to go and declare his forgiveness, his acceptance, his grace, his mercy over as many people as I possibly can. Now, this message really is, is a passion to me because, sadly and tragically, Five years ago, over five years ago, I went through a divorce. And I'd been married for almost 20 years. And I failed miserably in some areas of my life. And there were some addictions that took place in my life and took root and grew. And before you knew it, I, I was de profundis. I was in so much sorrow and so much grief. I was so ashamed and so broken. And I thank God that there were some friends of mine who believed in the grace of Jesus, who came into my life, back into my life, and said, listen, you can be forgiven. And I would weep and I would cry and say, but you don't understand. But they fulfilled the mission of Jesus, which was to go and say, you are forgiven. It's happened in the heavenlies. And they had to encourage me because it was really dark in my life at the time. But like the watchman waiting for the morning, God's love and grace reignited in my life and in my heart. The first time I actually sat with Pastor Mark, it was a little over two years ago, like two and a half years ago. And I'd been out of ministry for almost three years. And at that point, I was still struggling so greatly in my guilt and in my shame. And he really encouraged me when he was inviting my wife and I to come and be part of the church here to say, listen, you are forgiven. He spoke it over my life, and it was so meaningful. Otherwise, I might still be in that day profundest place. You see, we are to ascend out of it. And what enables us to lift out of it is an awareness and a knowledge of God's great mercy. And you and I, I want my life, I encourage you to take this mission that Jesus gave to us to go out and declare his forgiveness to as many people as you possibly can. Go find wherever you have to go, whether it be in your family or at work or in a prison, in a homeless shelter, or the country clubs of our city. Wherever it might be, go find de profundis types and say to them, I proclaim God's forgiveness and mercy and grace over you in Jesus' name. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus. God, you yourself put on human skin and came to this earth not to condemn but to save. And I thank you that your salvation has reached me. And I pray, God, that you would enable all of us to get a hold of this mission that you have given to us to go and declare your forgiveness over as many as we possibly can. The day profundest types, God, anoint us through your Holy Spirit. Breathe on us, God. Breathe, breathe on us. 
and enable us to fulfill your mission that now you've given to us. Thank you for your great love and your great mercy. In Jesus' name, and everyone together said, amen, amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Cook.